All right. Good morning. It's been, uh, Logan, can you turn on my lights, pal? Thank you. All right. Not that it makes it easier for me to see, because it doesn't. I go to go like this sometimes. But um, four weeks ago, we ended our sermon series about Jesus' parables, which had caused us to jump around a little bit in Luke's gospel. And we started a series called No Greater Love, which I said at the time would allow us to cover some key moments that led to the greatest display of love that the world has ever seen, and that it's Jesus' crucifixion, and then, of course, his resurrection. We started with Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the anointed one sent by God to redeem the world and forgive us of our sins. And that followed by the transfiguration. Because, if you'll recall, those two events are strongly connected to Jesus' death. Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ led Jesus to talk about how, yes, and I will have to die for that. And if you want to come with me, you're going to have to die too. And then, eight days later, God sent Moses and Elijah to talk to Jesus about his death. Well, in the very same chapter, later in that chapter, Jesus set out for Jerusalem. This is what caused Jesus to leave and go, knowing that getting to Jerusalem would lead to his death. So these are his final days. The journey to Jerusalem probably started in Galilee and would have taken a couple days if you were in a hurry. I googled it. And hiking, it will take about 32 hours to get from uh, Nazareth to Jerusalem. So think of roughly a couple days, because you're going to want to stop a couple times. Um, but the trek to Jerusalem in Luke's gospel lasts from Luke chapter 9 to Luke chapter 19. If you're doing math, that's 11. It might not seem like it, but it is 11 chapters. That's over a third of Luke's gospel that are happening in, in a relatively short period of time. What's interesting is if you look through Luke, if you have a red-letter Bible and you're flipping through it, you see the opening chapters, and some, there's a lot of black, and then there's some red, and then there's more red. Well, when you get to chapter 9, 9 through 19, it's basically all red letters. Jesus is in his final days, and he's got a lot to say. And so Luke chapter 9 through 19 is stuffed full of Jesus talking about really critical issues for him and things that we need to know about our faith and about life and about death. He's just pouring out his heart. And his thesis during these chapters, this period of time when he's leaving the Galilee area and he's on his way to Jerusalem knowing that he was going to die, his thesis seems to be something like, if you're going to follow me, if you want the life that I'm offering, if you want this eternal life, it has to be more valuable to you than the life you have here. Amen? If you're going to come with me, you're going to have to leave stuff behind. If you're going to come with me, it's going to cost you. And Robert last week did a great job, didn't he? Preaching about the cost of discipleship. What does it cost to follow Jesus? And the answer is everything your family, your possessions, your very life. It'll cost you everything to follow Jesus. You might have noticed that there's one thing that Jesus keeps bringing up. He keeps connecting one thing to this thesis. If you're going to come with me, 
You've got to value this eternal life that I'm offering more than the life you have here. You're going to have to value this more than you value this. There's one thing he keeps bringing up. What's that? Money. He keeps talking about money. Cash. He, uh, why? I don't, you know, it doesn't seem like an obvious thing. If you're going to talk about following Jesus, you're going to talk about the life of faith, it's not an obvious thing to talk about. Why would you talk about money so much? But there's a simple reason why Jesus brings up money so often. And it's that money only matters in this life. It only matters here. So Jesus is saying, if you're going to come with me, if you want this eternal life, I'm offering eternal life. If you want eternal life, you're going to have to leave this life behind. You're going to have to let this life go. If you want eternal life, you have to let this life go. Well, what is the one thing that we can point at that shows if you're still hanging on to this life? Your desire for money. Because money is only good over here. It's not any good in heaven. What are these going to do in heaven? Not a single thing. Not a single thing. And so Jesus uses money to have a deeper conversation about life and what really matters in life. So he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's about to take his warnings. He's been warning about, about your discipleship. He's been warning about how you live out faith. He's been warning about money. He's going to take that to the next level. And he's going to describe, this is what happens when you don't listen to me in the passage we're going to look at today. So if you have a Bible, please turn to Luke chapter 16. We're going to be starting in verse 19. There is a Bible under the chair in front of you. We're going to have the, the passages on the slides, but those will change, and it's also printed in your bulletin. Luke chapter 19, chapter 16, verse 19. Jesus is telling a story. He begins, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. At his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed from what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Let's just stop there for a minute. Who do you want to be in this story? It's a silly question, right? Because I don't want to be the man with sores who is digging through the trash can. I don't, nobody does. Amen? It's a silly question, but I want it to sort of highlight for us that in this life, those are our concerns. Those are the things that we are concerned about, right? Is which side of, which side of this are you going to fall on? And I'm going to sort of do everything that I can to make sure that I'm not, you know, the guy living outside the gate covered in sores that, you know, being licked by dogs, right? So, um, but in this life, these things matter. So you, you don't want to be that guy. Let's keep reading. The poor man, Lazarus, died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Stop, stop there. You know, Luke's, one of the theme that Luke has is this reversal of fortune. We've seen it since the opening chapters. We've talked about it a lot. Uh, we've been preaching from Luke for a year, by the way, right? 
And so a year ago, we were looking at all of these sort of reversal of fortune that the prophecies that Jesus would come and he would make the, the mountains low and the valleys high and that he was just going to change everything. He was going to change everything. Well, here's the same theme coming up. And the rich man and the poor man, they both die. They both die. And they both go to some place where they can see each other. Now, let's, let's talk a little bit about, about death in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, because it's being, being pictured here. In the Old Testament, the understanding was that when your body dies, your soul, your spirit, goes somewhere. In Hebrew, that place is called Sheol. It really just means the grave. It's a Hebrew word. It means the grave. So how many of us are surprised that when you die, you go into a grave? Not surprising, right? So there are two senses how you could understand this. One is just the actual grave. So when you die, you're buried, and then your body is in a grave. But there is a deeper sense that the grave, Sheol, is a spiritual place where the soul goes and spends time waiting for a final judgment. So it is the realm of the dead. It is the place of the dead in the Old Testament. It's pictured often as being a, a place deep underground. You might remember that David in Psalm 1610 expressed confidence that the Lord would not abandon him to the grave. And later, Paul says that, that David was actually prophesying about Jesus, that Jesus wasn't abandoned to the grave. But that the grave, that shield, it's a place. And David knew that he wouldn't stay there forever. Job says the same thing in Job 14, that he's not going to be left there by God, that God has a further plan. Sheol has two sides, and we see that in the passage this morning. The good side is sometimes called paradise. It's where the faithful go to await the final judgment. The bad side is called Hades in Greek. In English, we call it hell. It's where the unfaithful, the unrighteous, go to await final judgment. And that's what the afterlife was like in the Old Testament. Any questions? No? Good. Okay, moving on. That's also how it was in Jesus' ministry. So when Jesus came and he was walking around and he was teaching, in his ministry, there was still, that was still the operative way of understanding the afterlife. You see it in Matthew 12 when Jesus said, they, people were demanding a miracle of him, and he said that his great miracle would be to spend three days in the depths of the earth, which is, which is talking about death. Uh, and then, of, you know, of course, that he would come back from that, but that he would spend three days in the depths of the earth. And you also see it when Jesus is on the cross, and the thief next to him repents and confesses him as Lord. And then Jesus says, today, this very day, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is talking about this place where the dead go. There's a place for the righteous, and there's a place for the unrighteous. The righteous place is called paradise. So that's what we're talking about. When Jesus died, he really died. He completely died, and he did what dead people do. He went where dead people go, and then he came back to life. That was back then, okay? So back then... Sheol is a place of the dead, both unrighteous and the righteous, and it is a temporary place. It's not meant to last forever. So today, what happened is the Bible says that Jesus 
descended when he died into the lower parts of the earth. That's Ephesians 4, 9. And it says that he preached to the spirits in prison there in 1 Peter 3, 19. Before he ascended to heaven. And then Ephesians 4, 8 says that he led captives in his train. So on his way to heaven, he was followed by a train of captives from Sheol. That's referring to the people who were captive on the good side. So, in other words, Jesus took the souls from paradise and Sheol to heaven when, with him when he ascended to heaven. Comprende? So today, when those who have given their lives to Jesus die, they, we, are alive with Jesus in heaven. To be away from the body is to be present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says that. The paradise side of Sheol is currently either not there or it's empty. But the hell side is still occupied. So that's today. Any questions? No? Good. Moving on. Okay. That won't last forever, however. I didn't even try to rhyme that. That was cool. Um, one day Jesus will come back. Amen? Hallelujah! One day Jesus is coming back and he will throw death and Hades into the eternal lake of fire forever. Death will be swallowed up and will be, will be thrown into its own lake of fire. So when we talk about hell, sometimes we talk about it in two ways. Sometimes we talk about it as the torment side of death currently. Sometimes we talk about hell as the eternal lake of fire where death and Hades and all those things will be thrown. There's sort of two ways that we can understand it. In any case, that's a sort of biblical overview of death, sort of the, the understanding of death and what happens when we die. Okay, back to the story. So both the rich man and Lazarus have died. They both ended up in Sheol because it, this was back then and both sides were still working. But the poor man was with Abraham in paradise while the rich man was in Hades, was in hell, in torment, in a painful punishment. And in his pain, he looked up and he saw his friend. Maybe we can call them friends, but he saw this man who lives outside his gate and eats his scraps. And he's standing there with Abraham, and he knows who they are. And he called out, this is verse 24, and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he's comforted here and you're in anguish. Besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. By the time you get there, it's too late to change your mind or make different decisions. You're stuck. Here's the thing about life. 
it's barely a blip on eternity's radar. It's gone. It's gone. But it casts a long shadow, an eternal shadow. Think about how Jesus sees your life. Think about how Jesus views your life. Um, people tell me all the time that if I blink, my boys will be grown up, right? If you blink, they're going to be grown up, and I keep, and it's not working. But I get what they're saying. They're saying that, you know, with the, with the perspective of having more years, you know, older people will say, if you, if you blink, they'll be grown up, and it's just gone in a flash. Their childhood is just, it's a moment. For me, it, probably for Missy too, it's like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not a moment. <laughs> it's a lot, a lot of moments, right? Um, but the perspective helps because if you've had a long life, you can look back and say, man, childhood really was all of a sudden gone. All of a sudden it was gone. Now, if you can look at childhood like that, imagine how Jesus, who has existed for eternity, sees your life. Let's say you live to be a hundred. You've got a hundred years here. Let's say you live to be a hundred. Jesus is looking at your hundred and he's going, do you understand how small that is on the scope of eternity? Do you understand? If you understood that this spark and it's gone, but everything that you do in this little spark that we call your life, Everything that you do will determine eternity for you. If we really understood that, we would live differently. We would live differently. And that's what Jesus keeps telling us. He keeps saying things like, follow me and give up this life. Give up this life to follow me. Because eternity matters so much more than you understand. And once you get there, you're stuck. There's no going back. There's no crossing over. The truth is, this life matters. It really does matter. It's so brief. It's so brief, but it matters. But it really only matters in relation to the afterlife. This life matters, but really only in relation to the afterlife. Because this life is so fleeting, it's so brief, it's here and then it's gone. You don't know when your last day is going to be. You don't know. And when it's over, it's over. Life really matters. But the life that really, really matters is eternal life. That's going to last for forever. So Jesus was walking around saying things like, don't store up treasures on earth. Don't store up treasures here. Store up treasures in heaven, guys. Look, if you understood how silly it is to try to, to, try to, to, tr try to store up wealth, the parable of the rich fool. He gets a lot of money and then conceives a way to 
to just live in peace and comfort for the rest of his life. And Jesus is going, you fool, today your soul is required of you. What good is your money now? This life is just gone. Like that, you just don't know. So Jesus is saying, don't store up treasures on earth. Store up treasures in heaven. Don't chase after money. Chase after me. It is hard for a rich man to get into heaven. Harder than a camel going through the eye of a needle. And there is no gate in Jerusalem called the eye of a needle. It is a camel trying to fit through the eye of a needle. It is very hard for a rich man to get to heaven. Why? Because riches only matter here. They only matter here. They're not any good in heaven. You've got time. You've got energy. You've got resources. You've got things that you care about. There's space in your life for all kinds of things. What are you going to do with that time? What are you going to do with that effort? What are you going to do with that? Are you going to spend it trying to get money? You've not left this life behind. You've not left it behind. God will, God will provide. He cares for the lilies. He cares for the ravens. He cares more for you. He will provide for you. And it's not that money is bad. It's not that money is bad. It's that he wants your heart. And money can show you that you haven't really given it to him. This might, this might help, and I'm getting a little bit off track, and I'm sorry, but forgive me. I've got an uncle, and he loves to play video games. Um, he's got this free video game that he plays, and uh, uh, it's got a, an option to, to purchase things in the game, right? So it's a free game, but that's how they make money, is they give you ways to spend money in the game so that you can get better stuff. Well, my uncle loves to spend money on his game, and he does, and he'll throw 100 bucks into upgrading his sword. So for me, that's silly, right? For me, I'm thinking, like, I got a dollar, I hope. I got a dollar. And I'm thinking, this dollar can do a lot of things. This dollar can um, buy me a candy bar. In fact, this dollar could buy me two candy bars. I could give a candy bar to someone else. I could get my chocolate fix, and I could make someone's day. Great. I could buy some food, I could buy, you know, french fries, I could give this dollar to someone and make them happy. I could fold it, I could throw it at you, you know. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah, <laughs> oh, right over here. There's all kinds of things I could do with this dollar that have, like, real meaning in real life. But if I spent this on something on my phone, it's like burning the dollar. It's just gone. And I didn't really get anything out of it, right? But my uncle, he looks at it and he goes, well, no, I mean, if I can get the legendary sword of blah, blah, blah and vanquish my foes faster, it's worth it to me. And I look at that and I go, yeah, but you could have bought groceries, you could have got gas, you could have taken your son to a baseball game. There's all kinds of things you could have done because it's real money, right? This, this has a real effect in the world. You putting it into a game on your phone is just like giving it away. That's exactly how Jesus sees this. Jesus is looking at your money, and he's going, why would, you why would you be spending your time and your effort and your energy to get more of this when it doesn't matter? What matters is eternity. You're really wasting your life if you're 
chasing wealth because it's just gone. It's just gone. This life matters, but it really only matters in relation to what you're going to get after it. So don't store up treasures here. Store up treasures in heaven. Don't chase money. Chase Jesus. Don't pursue wealth. You're going to have to leave it all behind. You only get one life, but that life is going to matter for eternity. For the rich man, he lived his life aware of eternity. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has placed eternity in our hearts. We all know about eternity. And Romans 1 says that we all are aware of God. God makes himself obvious to everyone so that we are without excuse. We are without excuse. But this rich man chose the luxuries of his temporary life here over the righteousness of God, and he knew it. He's without excuse. Money isn't the problem, it's a symptom but there's no do-overs. And once, once the rich man realized, I can't get out, no one's going to come over and help me, I'm stuck here, he changed his focus, and this should break your heart. Look at verse 27. And he said, this is the rich man, then I beg you, remember, he's in agony, he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come to this place of torment. His attention is turned toward the people that he loves, his brothers. And what's he saying? I'm stuck. I realize I'm stuck. I got, there's no, there's no help for me, but somebody tell my brothers. They don't know. They don't know. Somebody tell my family. Somebody, please. The horrible truth is that hell is full of evangelists. Because it's full of people who would give anything to tell somebody the spiritual truth about God and life and death and Jesus. Somebody send somebody to my family. Somebody go. To be clear, they didn't go to hell as evangelists, but as soon as they got there, the one thing that they want is for somebody to go tell their family. Somebody go tell the people that I love that this is real. But they've got no audience. The souls in hell no one's listening to them. They would go themselves if they could, but they can't. They can't, but we can. That's our job. Amen? Who are the people that can tell people that it's real? That's us. That's us. But Abraham said, this is verse 29, Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. And he said to him, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And you know what? Abraham's right. Abraham's right. He knows 
if they're not listening to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to listen to Lazarus, even if he miraculously comes back to life. Sometimes we think only a miracle will make someone listen to the gospel. But really, you have access already to everything you need to see the truth. It's already there. It's already right in front of you. You have access. If God showed up one day and wrote a message in the clouds, what would people say? Would they fall to their knees and worship God? Or would they say, oh, that's interesting. Someone, someone must have been playing a trick or it was one of those planes or something. There's always, if your heart isn't trusting God, Nothing's going to happen. There isn't a haymaker. There's not a miracle that's going to change someone's heart because they don't need an additional piece of truth. They need repentance. Today, you know, back then, Jesus was saying, or Abraham was saying, they have Moses and the prophets. Well, today we have the Bible and the church. Today, it's us. You could imagine Jesus telling someone today, not they have Moses and the prophets, but well, they have scripture and they have the church. They're not listening to them. They're not going to listen to something else that shows up and tells them the same thing. But that puts the responsibility for preaching and teaching the gospel to tell people that eternal life is worth living for, worth giving up your life for, to tell people that God wants to forgive you through Jesus, that puts that responsibility on us. Because there's a place full of souls who desperately need you to tell their loved ones that it's real. No one else can do it. No one else can. No one else can. This, it, it, it sort of hurts me to think about because when I think about it, I think somebody in hell is saying, someone just go knock on the door and just tell them, hey, you know, God is real and, and he loves you and, and he wants to forgive you. And, and it's, it's a hard thing to do. The cost of following Jesus is, is gonna cost you everything, but it's worth it because life is just, it's such a moment. They just want you to go and knock on the door and try. They don't need anything special. They just need, your, they just need you to try. Just give them a chance to respond. If they don't respond, they don't respond. But someone go tell them. Someone go tell them. And how will they know? Unless someone tells them. And then how, how will someone tell them unless we send them? Beautiful are the feet of the one who comes bringing the gospel. Maybe for you, the thing that keeps you invested in this life is not money. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's, maybe it's your ego. Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's a relationship that, that you're holding on to here 
Maybe it's someone that you need to share the gospel with, but you don't want to because you're afraid of ruining things here. And Jesus is going, gosh, you don't understand. It's worth trying. It's worth it. Maybe it's your reputation. But what do you need to give back to Jesus? What are you holding on to that is uniquely a part of this life that is stopping you from doing something that is of eternal value? What is that for you? What do you need to give up for Jesus? And then for me, the really convicting part of the passage is thinking about the pleas from the people who just want their family and their friends to have a chance to know that God will forgive them. The nice thing is that it doesn't have to be perfect. Amen? You don't have to have a perfect gospel presentation. Guys, there isn't one. <laughs> if there was, it would be on YouTube and everybody would be using it and then it would stop being the perfect gospel presentation, right? The perfect gospel presentation is you with a heart full of love for somebody, walking up to them and just saying, I don't know where you stand with, with God, what you believe or where you stand with Jesus, but... Jesus loves you and wants to forgive you and wants to have an eternal life with you. This life, as great as it might be, gosh, it just doesn't compare. It's just nothing compared to eternity. So as we pray and we take a couple minutes to just meditate on the passage, 